Welcome back to ADHD Money Talk, the show that helps dynamic but distracted ADHD brains take back control over their money in order to stress less of a more enriching life and open up new and amazing possibilities. And I am your humble and very ADHD host, Dave DeWitt. And today is the third part of my three-part interview with Dr. Russell Ramsey. You know, this guy, he's so good that he needs to be reintroduced for the third time, even though you're probably like, I know who this guy is because I listened to your last two episodes. But nonetheless, Russell Ramsey, he is... The co-founder and clinical director of the University of Pennsylvania's Adult ADHD Treatment and Research Program and an associate professor of clinical psychology at the Perelman School of Medicine at Penn. Dr. Ramsey has authored numerous peer-reviewed professional and scientific articles and book chapters. He has written five books about adult ADHD. Most recently, this is the one I read, Rethinking Adult ADHD, which was published in 2020. It is a great read. I highly recommend you read this book. Dr. Ramsey is an inductee into the Chad Hall of Fame. He serves on the editorial board of the Journal of Attention Disorders and the ADHD Report and is board certified in cognitive behavioral therapy. So without further ado, today we're going to talk a little bit about implementation strategies because we all know that we should eat better, that we should get our money straight, we should do this and that, but how do we get it going? How do we actually start to put things in place that works for our brains. This one's going to start off very abrupt. So if you want to refresh yourself on how the last one ended, please listen to the end of the last episode and you'll be able to understand exactly where this conversation begins. Because when I made this interview, when we did this interview, I wasn't planning on there being three parts, but this is the way it's going to work out. So another really unfortunate thing is that this recording It actually was going to be four episodes, but the last 30 minutes or so was so corrupted, you couldn't make out what was being said, and some of the audio was missing. So this interview is also going to end very abruptly. So unfortunately, we're going to miss out on some really good tidbits from Dr. Russell Ramsey. Let's get into the interview. You know, when I read in, I'm not sure whose book it was, when you have the average ADHD person has like 20,000 more negative experiences or interactions as they're growing up. Yeah. I mean, if you have that many additional sort of negative confrontations, then you're so primed to make a plan. And if you fail, immediately say, well, I, I failed again. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you know what? Even on the literature on negative thinking, and you know, if anybody's interested in it, one of my early pandemic reads was The Power of Bad by um, Roy Baumeister, a social psychologist whose work I admire, and he's written a great book on willpower. Um, but The Power of the Negative the power of negative is positive insofar as it's avoiding danger. It allows for problem solving. It allows us to learn from setbacks, but it takes about roughly the four to one ratio. It takes about four positive experiences. And this doesn't have to be like you win a Nobel prize or anything, but just four positives to outweigh the one negative. And, you know, as just as a way to counterbalance it, and we're not talking like little negatives. Like, I don't know, I bumped my knee on the chair when I was sitting down or something, but yeah, more things, but just in that ratio of trying to rebalance and how powerful that is. And it makes perfect sense because ADHD itself generates some of these frustrations. And it is why in addition to all these things that we're talking about today, also focusing on the positives and like I said, like reviewing the bank account and looking at the next benchmark, look how close you are to meeting this goal and, you know, visualizing that. And also the strengths, including viewing things like not buying the item with one click shopping wherever as a challenge, 
and even stepping away and then later on going, you know what? No, I don't need that. I'm going to empty my cart and viewing that as a success and a sign of that muscle that you have, those building up the positives, I think are also important. And I think that like be it a financial planner, an ADHD coach, a dietitian, a psychologist, I think that's part of our role in pointing out these authentic wins or positives to make sure these get deposited in the accounts, if you will, along with any of the difficulties we're dealing with. Yeah, that's that's really good stuff. And you know, as a financial planner for the ADHD community, traditionally a financial planner says, okay, here's your situation. Here's the recommendations. If you do these, you'll be good. And then they say, go do them, come back, we'll talk. My job is much more, here's where you are. Here's where you could be. Look, this is great. Let's get there. Here's what I want you to do. And now, and then I say, here's exactly what to do. Here's step one. Here's step two. And instructions like log into your account, create another account, and then like actually on a screen, walking them through it. So it becomes so much more about helping them implement because otherwise, like, why are you paying me? Why are you paying me? I, because I know you're not going to, I know it's going to be a struggle to do it yourself. That's interesting. And then in your book, you talk about starting something is so hard because you're anticipating so much that you build up this huge ball of anxiety about just getting started. I can't tell you how much time I spend worrying about something that once I start doing it, I'm totally fine. Like I'm fine. I'm in it. I'll spend literally hours and waste energy at night, lying in bed, worrying about a task I have to do because it seems so long and struggle, like it's such a struggle. And then you talk about how once you finally, the deadline is close, you finally start doing it. And then I'm also going to wrap in here. I really like this idea of a more of a romanticized hyper-focus where it's not hyper-focused because you're really enjoying it. It's hyper-focused because you're under extreme pressure. Right. When I outline the component features of CBT, the cognitive behavioral therapy, I mean, in a way, both the behavioral interventions, engagement in a task, and that could be you know, a relationship. I'm sure my wife appreciates being characterized as a task. This is why I lost my job at Hallmark Cards. <laughs> but also, I have a separate line about implementation strategies because we all know this. And even what you mentioned about being the financial planner, you know, some of the work by Russ Barkley and others uh, looking at some of the, um, the health outcomes of individuals tracked from childhood to like 20s. And I saw a recent one, I think from Sweden, like maybe into like the 30s or 40s of, you know, some of the risk factors for later health problems. Yeah. Just giving somebody a pamphlet, you know, you really need to sleep better and exercise more. It's more about the implementation of the plan and, you know, getting a personal trainer. And what does the personal trainer do? They're telling me to do exactly what I know I have to do. But I just say, if they tell me, and I don't have one, but if they tell me to get on the, the treadmill, I will. Whereas if I'm there myself, I won't. So it's that externalization of motivation. And I think the anticipations, and often these may draw on past experiences. And again, the power of negative, humans in general might be a little more tinged to, oh, this is going to be hard or, oh, you know, not me again, but I run five miles a day, but today five miles, oh my gosh, can I really do that? Even though you've done it and you've never had to stop a run, there might be evidence, but in the moment, and then the emotions come on and maybe part of us just doesn't feel like doing it today. And if we come back to that and say, you know, I know I can do it, but I just want to take a day off and do other things fine. Or like making an informed decision about spending, you might disagree with it, but if the person comes around and says, Nope, I've thought about it. I know the consequences I'm willing to take it on. And later on, yeah, we were humans. We might come back and say, yeah, I shouldn't have done that, but Sometimes we have to go through it. You know, actually, 
And this gets at the working memory feature of ADHD or the difficulties holding information on mind and being able to manipulate it. It also gets at the sequencing of tasks. So, and I, I might've mentioned before the specificity, are there particular spending times or products or websites where you're particularly vulnerable? Let's focus on those. And if there are these tasks, you know, some of the planning I talk about in the book, like breaking it down into the sequence of steps, like a menu, well, that that's externalizing the working memory of yeah, you know, whatever it is we're avoiding. Let's just say there's a doing taxes is one of my favorite things to do, or let's just say I'm working on a manuscript. It's like, yeah, I really want to write a manuscript, but that's a big undertaking. But if I sit down and say, yeah, today you're not writing, you're just outlining ideas. And it's not like a very neat outline. It's just, I'm sort of old school, but I'll take that back. I am old school to a degree, but a tablet of paper and a pen, just because the manually doing it rather than typing, there's a more visceral connection. And so if I'm just jotting a shotgun of ideas and like arrows and I'm working on the manuscript. So if I say, okay, I'm working on the manuscript, but today I'm just doing this, or there might be another, you know, maybe a project or a client you have to get ready for. And maybe the launch task is, I'm just going to review their portfolio or review the email that they sent me that listed their goals. Something that's a low-hanging fruit that is an essential part of the task, just like if we're cooking something, getting a frying pan out or whatever it is. Now, if that's all we do, we didn't cook, but we just exponentially increase the likelihood. And you know, even that, people say they can't cook. Well, that's why we have cookbooks or online or whatever. So yeah, and it sounds so simple, but that next actionable step, and like Mary Solanto, an expert in cognitive behavioral therapy, will say, cognitive behavioral therapy for adult ADHD, would say, if you're still not starting, you haven't broken it down small enough. Because sometimes it's just, let me sit down at the computer, or let me grab a tablet of paper, or let me get to the library, or let me turn off the television, whatever it is. Now, it doesn't guarantee that we'll do it, but we just exponentially increase the likelihood. Yeah, for sure. And breaking it down to small to small steps is so important because like what I do is there might be like five different topic areas I need to cover with a client, but we'll start with one and then we'll break down the one even further into the most minute step. And that seems to help a lot. I want to give you one more example of what happened to me yesterday. And then there's a points I want you to talk on. Which sure. I'm sure you'll have no problem doing. But yesterday, and I feel like I experienced a lot of what we're talking about, plus other things, perfectionism too, um, which we'll get to right now. I have, there's two clients I need to do work on their plan, right? I have to work on their plan and I haven't broken down the steps. And yesterday I had the day that was the day I was going to do it. I was going to just get them done. So I stopped worrying about it. I didn't do it. In fact, I changed my website yesterday. I tweaked my website. I put on like pricing stuff. I just made the language different. So I know that was a procrastivity for oh, one. Yeah, I good. know that when I'm working on client stuff that someone's going to judge me on, there's a, a resistance, a fear to start because I'm. it's getting me closer to that moment where I'm presenting something of value to someone and I want it to be absolutely perfect. And the website thing is also, I'm escaping what I should be doing. There's all this thing that's wrapped into just yesterday. So I definitely want to touch on the perfectionism. I especially like the idea of the front end versus back end and yeah. procrastivity, which is a really... Right. I love procrastivity. <laughs> well, and like I said, procrastivity, I, I learned about it from a client. I didn't invent the term. Okay. I, I feel I, like I may have said that you did before. No, no, that's okay. That's okay. 
You well, made it known. I, within ADHD world, and I looked it up on Urban Dictionary, apparently as much as you can believe that it's been around since 2010. Oh, wow. What, what it is, is escaping a higher priority task, like in that case, preparing for the meeting, doing something else that is productive, that maybe yesterday or last week you were procrastinating on doing the website because, oh, yeah, let me do this instead of the website. I'll get around to that eventually. But now all of a sudden it pulls you in because this, now the website is better than that, preparing for the meeting. And it just got me thinking, like working with this one client, and it's also known as productive procrastination or positive procrastination, because you are getting something done and it is a way to salvage the day. All right, if I'm not going to do the preparations for the client meeting, at least let me get this other stuff out of the way. So there is on the continuum, it falls in there pretty well. It's on the more positive side, but it got me thinking reverse engineering. Well, why did David all of a sudden magically do the website as opposed to this when he might've put that off or something in my own life? And generally, the escape task, the procrastivity task tends to be more manual or hands-on and even technically manual if it's pointing and clicking. And even among say academic tasks, like reading, writing, problem sets, there's probably like a rock, paper, scissors algorithm that we each have like, oh, reading's easier than writing and a problem set is more preferable than uh, a reading assignment um, that we just have to rank order things or avoidance, if you will there tends to be a clearer steps for getting started. So maybe with the website, it's like, okay, let me log in. Let me get into the editing mode. Here's the page. And I kind of knew what I wanted to add as well. And I knew I could do it today and finish it. Right. And that's the other thing. There's a clear sense of making and sustaining progress and more likely reaching an end point. Ah, The website is up and we like that feeling. This is a a smidge off collar, not really, but that ah feeling. It's just, if, if I... If it, this hasn't been done, this is one maybe I will take credit for, but I call it labor-gasm. It's sort of, oh, <laughs> but, but just, you know, but I, yeah. I will tell people, and I, I only use that one rarely, but I'll say we underestimate the positive feeling associated with getting things done. Unloading the dishwasher, mowing the lawn, just so it's like, ah, you know, if you've ever stayed at, well, stepping back into your hotel room and housekeeping was there, ah, everything, the bed's made, everything's clean. Oh, yeah, mowing the lawn and then looking outside and admiring your work. Yeah, and right. knowing you don't, it's done for the week, at least. Yeah. So all these elements, I said, can we repurpose those? And yeah, some of what we talked about already, make working on the client meeting prep manual. I'm going to sit at this desk and what am I going to do? Yeah, what's the sequence of steps? I'm going to review their materials. I'll take a look at what they sent me and that'll orient me to what we want to cover. When and where am I going to do it? What time am I going to go to a coffee shop? No, I'm going to go to my desk at nine o'clock tomorrow. Yeah, what are the steps? Uh, how long will I work on it? A minimal acceptable, how long, I usually ask, how long do you think you could last if it's as bad as you think it's going to be? Uh, 30 minutes. And and this is even after the valuation. Why is this important for me? Why will I feel better? What's in it for me to do this? I'll feel more prepared. And then after having that, then it's like, I'll run through. All right. That being said, nine o'clock tomorrow, how are you going to think yourself out of it? What are your emotions going to be? What, what might be the nervousness? or whatever it may be, and what will be the escape behaviors that you know if you're doing that, oh, I, I should return all these incoming emails from last night first. No, they'll be there, 30 minutes, they can wait, you know, type of thing. And then coming up with the FX, then Y statement. And the perfectionism, yeah, the front-end perfectionism, it came from some research we did where, and it surprised me that perfectionism was the number one thinking error 
endorsed by adults with ADHD. I, and I would say, I feel like that and people pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. And perfectionism in general, a way to think about it. And this is just more conjecture. It is an emotional regulation strategy, I think, because I'll hear about this sometimes to students with writing where they say, I hate writing because I have to get it right the first time. So they'll spend two hours grinding over the first paragraph, making sure it's perfect before they will move on to the second paragraph. It's <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just realizing I'm, flashbacks. I relate yeah. to that so hard. Yeah, yeah. God, the but first I, paragraph. But, but I think it's emotional regulation because I don't want to have to go back to this. So if I can get it done perfect the first time and be done with it, it's trying to minimize the pain, which makes sense. I mean, if I would have a sinus infection, go to my family doctor and they prescribe a, a five-day antibiotic, I'm not going to them. Do you have a 10 or a 15-day one that I can take longer and take longer to feel better? No. Wanting to feel better quicker gets undersold. Don't we all want that? Now, there are some things with writing. And I think generally what happens, that's why writing becomes so aversive because it takes longer being the first time because that's also your first and last draft. So that's like bundling together a whole bunch of things at once. Oh my gosh. You're and it'd be sort of like, it's to be sort of like doing, not only do you have to do your 2022 taxes, you have to do your last five years of taxes again, every time. So it's like you're doing five taxes at once type or five lawns at once or whatever the case may be. So, you know, it is the case for doing the experiment of breaking it down. And the front end perfectionism is things have to be perfect before as a precondition to getting started. I have to be well-rested. I have to be in the mood to do the task, which if we're thinking about doing it, you're probably not going to ever be in the mood to do it. Even if it's your career, nobody in the right mind is probably ever in the mood to do homework or you know, write a manuscript. We want the outcome or exercise. So all this is to say, no, you're going to feel some discomfort, but recognizing it, normalizing it, everybody does. You know, the clients that you're meeting with, they're probably a little nervous about meeting you. What are we going to hear? What's he going to tell us? We're probably going to hear stuff that we know and that we don't want to hear. You know, we're going to have to cut back on whatever. And they could be right. They could be wrong. They could be partially in the middle. But once you're in there with them, once they're in there with you, and it's only one meeting rather than all these simulations that we're running in our head, the anticipatory simulations, now we're only dealing with one. And even if it is a little rough either way, there's probably also, yeah, but it was productive and, you know, whatever, but recognizing, no, you're never going to, you know, if you wait to be well-rested, you know, probably you and me, well, then we we're going to be done after this interview. <laughs> you, especially, I'm going to wear you down. Yeah. No, you, you won't be rested to do anything the rest of the day. So no, we're going to be rested. Also understanding, not only normalizing the feeling and the anticipation and labeling, okay, is this anxiety? okay, I want to do a good job. You know, I want them to like me. You know, I, I obviously want to do business. I want to do right by them. Well, also recognizing what percentage of this is a positive, that these are my values. I want to do well. Yeah, I want people to like me, but I also want them to get something out of this. I like helping people so that some of this is the energy that I might need to do it. And yeah, there's that part of it that is assuming a negative judgment. And this is where we can draw on our past experience. How often do the, the meetings go sideways like that? And what can I control? I can only be professional, try to be helpful. And this draws on a little bit in breaking down like the components of cognitive behavioral therapy. 
and I think I've elaborated on it more since the, the rethinking book, um, the interpersonal domain, because very often we can get wrapped up into, I have to make them like me. Well, I can't do that. Or I have to convince the professor, I have to make the professor give me an extension. So cutting off Dr. Ramsey mid-sentence, not because I wanted to, but because the audio is so messed up. Unfortunately, there's about 35 minutes of brilliant audio that is lost into the abyss because of whatever happened with my technology situation. So with that said, this concludes my three-week episode series of the interview with Dr. Russell Ramsey. I hope you enjoyed it during these past three weeks. What was I doing? Part of it, I was on vacation. Other part, just not doing the podcast. Needed a break, but I'm ready to get back after it. So I'll talk to you guys next week. See ya.